This is the Art of Warcast, a podcast about Legend of the Five Rings, the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Your hosts are Tobin Lopez, Carl Anderton, and Doug Keister. Christmas special, regroup, in memoriam. Uh, all right, welcome. I'm Tobin Lopez. I'm Carl Anderton. I'm Doug Keister. And I'm Tyler Parrott. Uh, what are we up to today, Carl? It seems just like yesterday when we talked to Tyler Parrott, designer of The Legend of the Five Rings, and he had a lot to share with us in our conversation. But that September news has nothing on the co-wallop of changes just announced. RIP regroup phase, we hardly knew ye. Caden this hour, you now require thought. Those districts, the dojo, they've all been wiped off the face of Rokugan. And we have Tyler here to discuss it all. (laughs) Yeah, welcome, Tyler. Thanks for doing this again. Um, There is... A lot to talk about. You announced a great deal of stuff with these two articles and the changes that they they outline. Um, we'll kind of take them in order for the purposes of the interview. Again, thanks for doing this. The RG changes, the rules reference guide. Uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about those changes first, and then we'll talk about the Imperial Law document that has, uh, has a significantly <laughs> new and... Um, that's the Kowalup, really. That's the single change there. So I'll, I'll keep that under wraps. But uh, Doug, we'll let you have the first question. <laughs> I don't know how under wraps it's going to be considering, you know, people are going to people are going to look at that and react to what the contents of the of the document before they read any article or listen to any podcast. And that's true. That's true. No. It's not a good it's not a big secret, right? They're going to be clutching printouts and waving them at the screen right now. So yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> oh, the white leg and gnashing of teeth. Actually, I mean, not to like spoil anything, but I think people are going to be very happy with these changes. Well, once they get over their initial, you know, butthurt edit, they'll, I'm sure they'll, they'll realize that it's good for the game. <laughs> uh, it's good. It's going to make them go back to the drawing board once again. Oh like, yeah. Just like for the rolls is done. So, um, while wow, you've been busy, uh, you've, so the RRG has been updated. The learn to play guide has also been updated. Uh, among those changes, we've got removing the eliminate the limit on conflict characters uh, ring effects is attacking players, changing the dependent then, and completely eliminating the regroup phase. Wow. Uh, could you tell us a bit more <laughs> about the, 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 the process that you use to identify and finalize these changes? So something that I've been thinking about for a long time is how we can streamline the game. L5R has tons of moving parts. Yeah. So mm. many that the just the complexity for like how to play the game is a big barrier to a lot of people. And I don't think that these changes are going to meaningfully change that. If the game was too complicated before, it's still going to be too complicated for you now. But people don't often aren't aware of or don't recognize the the fact that lots of small things add up to one large thing. Mm-hmm. And so really, I took a very critical look at Every single mechanic in the game that happened automatically, um, that happened outside of a player's choice, because those are the things that are most likely to be forgotten. Those are the things that are most likely to draw attention away from the thing that you want to be thinking about. Because like when you're playing the game, you want to be thinking about strategy and tactics. You don't mm-hmm. want to be thinking about how do I play this game? L5R, like in Magical Christmas Land, where L5R is a digital game, and all of the steps and phases and automated things happen 
literally because of a computer, like that's a very different game because now you can have all of this complexity back end into the, the system. Whereas here, like, yeah, it's back end into the system, but someone still has to do it. Someone has to remember to do it. Someone has to do it right. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So does this also simplify your life? Uh, some, well, some of it as does. As a designer? Um, <laughs> as a designer, yeah. <laughs> the, the dependent then entry in the rule book has turned out to be a thorn in my side, um, as probably the people who are invested in the rules, my judges and, and such, are not would not be surprised by. Because the game has always operated under the conceit that card effects happen simultaneously and abilities resolve simultaneously in that like if i have a triggered ability that does multiple things it says draw a card and gain an honor and honor a character or something all three of those things happen simultaneously the problem is then when you get into something like draw a card and discard a card or set your dial to one and draw cards equal to the difference between your dial and the opponent's if those are happening simultaneously then you can't, you literally can't know what it does. Yeah, they're highly intuitive. I'm simultaneously discarding and drawing a card that doesn't make sense when I put the words draw a card first because that intuitively makes you think you should draw your card first or whatever. Right. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But importantly... The, ga- the gaming, the, the rule structure of simultaneous resolution gets in the way of how we process and actually complete the the resolution well yeah that's because when you have a card that has multiple things you go down in order i do this and then i do this and then i do this i mean as human beings we can't literally do it simultaneously but but the other thing is like simultaneous resolution isn't inherently a problem it's just a feature of the game the the problem came in because the word the the english word then which is used in the english language to determine sequence had extra rules attached to it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't want to use those extra rules, but you need to provide a sequence where you say you do this thing, and then you do this thing, and then you do this thing. Mm-hmm. But if I write it that way on a card, like this actually came up during development of Regal Bearing, which is one of the cards that kind of like made this whole issue come up, which is that I originally wrote the card saying, set your dial to one, then draw cards equal to the difference. The problem is, because of the way the rules were written, before, if my dial was already at 1, then I couldn't play the card because setting my dial to 1, when it's already at 1, wouldn't change the game state. Right. Mm -hmm. And therefore, nothing after that would happen. And that wasn't how I wanted the card to play in the game because I want to reward people for bidding low, not punish them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, like... I ended up writing it this other way, and then that turned into a, a separate issue of we're trying to simultaneously change our dial and see what that value is. So what it came <laughs> down to was just that, like, I need the word then, which is just an English word meaning sequ- sequence, to just be a word meaning sequence and not have these extra rules attached. And so I went ahead, and you'll find that for everything going forward, I use a different phrase, if you do, to do basically what then used to do. It's like, you do the thing, and then if you did the thing, then you keep going. But if you didn't, then you don't, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. So you had to take a, a, a four-letter word 
and replace it with eight letters of three words to uh, to to make things more clear. Wow, well, English and the thing sucks is, some days. It, well, <laughs> but the thing is, it is more clear. Like the rule about the dependent then is not a rule that's in most other games. True. And it's not yeah. something that's immediately intuitive. If I say, do this thing, if you do do the thing, then keep doing the other thing, you don't need to look in a rule book to know how the card works. Right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. yep. Whereas before, if it was honor a character, then honor it again, and I cancel the first instance of honoring, the language it's the language as printed on the card doesn't in you know indicate that the card effect stops. You would I would naturally think as just a, a layperson that okay, well you stopped one, but I'm gonna keep resolving my ability because I wanted to resolve my ability, right? Right. Um and so uh I think it's it's an overall positive even though it's adding you know a couple words or a few letters it's an overall improvement in the quality of communication of card abilities which is something that like especially with a game like l5r is something that i'd have to take very seriously because if i write an ability on a card and people don't immediately know how that ability works then it's almost worse than uh if it had no ability at all because it here's all this text, but no one is playing it properly. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, you know, yeah. it, if you do is clearer than, than, then mm-hmm. it's what well, we say that with five times fast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm also a fan of, you know, a succinct language that, you know, say, say what you mean in the fewest words possible as clearly as you can. And, uh, I'm also a fan of the English language, you know, having studied it in college. So, you know, things like this are, are really fascinating to me, the whys and, and the wherefores. And here's the thing, right? And this is true with a, a lot of these rules changes. Most players aren't going to know or care. This is really for the, like, the judges more than really anything else. And people and like for, me who are huge nerds. <laughs> yeah, and, and for people who are, who are gaming enthusiasts like you guys. And also for the online communities who love to discuss minutia and corner cases. And frankly, like something that I've been trying to do for a while, and this is just one step towards it is making sure that if you are a new judge at an event, you can check in the rule book and find all of the necessary rules and rulings that you need to properly uh, adjudicate the game. Um, Awesome. Something that hasn't mm-hmm. always been done in the past, which I'm hope trying to change, and I think we're doing a good job about it, is when someone sends in a rules uh, query through the official rules query uh, that goes to me, the developer, saying, hey, how does this interaction work? And then I answer it, and then it gets shared on Facebook and Discord, and like people are like, okay, cool, we know how it is. But there's no official place. That's just people, you know, sharing it by word of mouth that like this is how the card works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's important that that ruling exists in an official place somewhere. Yeah. And Not so on like card game DB or something like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or Discord um, X or whatever. Yeah. And like because of the way that word of mouth shares these kinds of things, weird, obscure rules, corner cases are often discussed by the community. 
and therefore I have to, you know, pay extra attention to it so that my judges and my players are all on the same page. Totally, totally. Well, a little less English language, a little more numbers now. The conflict character limit, you've re- you've removed that. What regarding, like, debt building practices um, led you to do this? Uh, pe- people weren't hitting it. And when I looked at what it... When I looked at what a deck would look like with more than 10 conflict characters, yeah. it looked worse than every other deck, and it played worse than, you know, c- top-tier competitive decks right now. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't actually know why that rule was there. I suspect it was because at some point during playtesting the core rules of the game, there was a concern that people would just put all of their conflict characters into their conflict deck, ignore Dynasty entirely, take Passing Fate every turn, and just play out of a single deck. Mm -hmm. But in practice, that's not sustainable um, because you're just down a lot of cards on your opponent. Like, why would I, if I have four characters in my provinces and eight cards in my hand, why would I ignore the four cards in my provinces? Right. Like, I'm now down four cards if I'm doing that every turn. Yeah, Um, four you get for free, as it were, right? Yeah, exactly, right. Um, And also, for the most part, and this is especially more true recently than in the, the, the core set, is that conflict characters are just slightly worse than dynasty characters at their price point hmm. because they tend to have more reactive abilities. You're not, you would never ever in a million years see lion's pride brawler as a conflict character. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, if I'm taking a hit to quality of characters by only playing out of my conflict deck and I'm also uh, taking a hit in card advantage by ignoring the characters in my provinces. And I'm also drawing from a very limited pool. Cause like, there are also only tiny handful of conflict characters per clan in the game at all, right? So, mm-hmm. like, the even the number of options is limited. Like, all of these things add up to there was no meaningful reason that I could come up with for why this rule had to be here. And since the whole point was questioning every rule and saying, why is this here? Can this go away and make the game better? It's just one fewer thing that people have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Totally. because yeah. all uh, again, and I'm this is kind of the whole point of this of all these rules changes is any individual small thing is not a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Having to worry about role, uh, having to worry about conflict character limits in deck building, having to worry about influence in deck building, having to worry about uh, which role I have and what cards those unlock during deck building, all of those are individually small things that aren't really a big deal. Add them all up, and it's like deck building can be really complicated mm-hmm. or take during a game. It's like, and here's a much more extreme example of like putting fate on rings during the fate phase. Not a big deal. Discarding uh, characters from broken provinces. Not a big deal. Resolving unopposed honor loss. Not a big deal. The remembering to do, remembering to do the Imperial favor glory count at the end of the uh, conflict phase and also remembering that the Imperial favor is there during your conflicts, all of these things, not a big deal. Add them all up, and now I, as a player, have to remember to do this thing that the game is telling me to do several times, doing different things at a bunch of points during the round, and now, like, what, 30% of my brain is dedicated towards just remembering how the game works and making sure it's being played appropriately? And that's 30% of my brain that's not being spent towards 
making fun decisions like, should I play this card? What are my outs? How many cards do I need to draw right now? Who am I supposed to attack with? What ring am I supposed to attack with? Like, those are the choices that are fun about the game. Oh, totally. uh, remembering to put fate on unclaimed rings, not fun. It's just a thing you have to do. <laughs> right. And obviously I didn't remove those, but I very seriously considered it in every case. And, you know, for the more fundamental things like the Imperial favor, like you can't just remove that from the game, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would be tough. for it. Like I considered it. <laughs> <laughs> you said the, the dragon plane goes, it's fun putting fate on rings. I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. <laughs> So, so what? So the the things that I that, that strike me as ones things that I kept forgetting and still do to some extent is the seeker fate and the keeper uh, and the and the, the keeper, keeper fate, fate when you def- went on defense. Oh so, lord, yeah. But those are tied to rules, so those are those would be impossible to remove, right? I mean, um, not impossible. Errata exists. It, that's true. That's true. Um, but that's a much bigger deal. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like your deal in changing a rule book text. Right. And it seems like what you wanted to do with these two announcements and ent- entirely like in, in the articles that you've written is you wanted to <laughs> ironically you didn't want an erotic cards. Right? You you went Correct. through it and you you did this one th- I think like as you said before we kind of started recording is this is the big one. Right? Where you say I'm going to erotic cards to not only for templating issues, but also to, uh, I, I, you know, normalize power levels, but errata is yet another thing you have to remember. Yes. Uh, and so that same, in same. and of itself is, is, is along the same lines, right? Yeah. It's the same, exactly the same thing I was just saying about, you know, any individual change is minor remembering that there's a change to, restoration of balance that's easy it's an easy thing to remember remembering that there's a change to city of the open hand easy thing to remember remembering that there's a change to 20 different cards in the game big deal right mm-hmm. right so the other templating change that you made was you're removing as attacking player um ring effect the the, the as attacking player phrase from the ring effect so hypothetically if if uh, Hotaru now that un- unlocks Hotaru, uh, the uh, Hotaru and Totori to trigger their effect on defense. So when you claim a ring, you can trigger the effect. Uh, you don't have to have it as attacking players. That is that what you is that what you were going for? I mean, this is a change that people have been asking for for years uh, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Hey, can we make Hotaru and Totori work the way that we think that they are, are meant to work? And the answer is yes. Now, Totori and Hotaru in the core set can trigger their abilities on defense, and it works the way you think it's supposed to work. Hooray! Which is, which is you not doing it as attacking player, you just doing it. <laughs> uh, and, and this actually gets into a, a, a slightly larger game design templating thing, which is that when you put text on cards, you always want to minimize the number of words. More words equals more complexity, even if they're, you know, simple and easily understood words and intuitive and the the sentences are intuitive to what you think the ability wants to do like if i pick up a card and see it has a ton of text i'm immediately more daunted than if i pick up a card and see that it has three lines of text yeah Um, and even if it's one straightforward ability if i have to spend eight lines to say that ability then 
it will inherently be more complicated because people have to spend time processing what each of those words and you know what each of those sentences are saying and imagining how they fit into the strategy of the game like there have been a number of times where i've seen people read the text on an l5r card and be like wait let me read that again and they're like oh i get it it's it's this single simple thing but they had to read it twice and that's a problem mm -hmm. so any any time i can get rid of words is good and also the way that the ring effects were written where only the attacking player would ever resolve them fit with sort of the core premise of how the game was designed but it doesn't match the mechanics of how card abilities have interacted with ring effects as the game has developed like it was very reasonable way to present ring effects when it was just the core set and most ring effects happened when you won a conflict as the attacking player but as the card pool has grown more abilities have interacted with triggered replaced ring effects etc such that like it would be much more intuitive if it just said you know like if defend the wall just said after you win a conflict at this province resolve the contested rings effect full stop right like yeah that's a simple mm -hmm. simple text you know what it does this is a water ring i know water is bow a guy so i'm gonna bow a guy i don't need to worry about this like the ring effect is the attacking player bows a guy or readies a guy it's because in your head, you don't think the air ring is the attacking player gains two honor. You think the air ring is gain two honor. You think fire ring is honor or dishonor a character. Like that's the part you remember. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the part that you engage with and you think about. This whole attacking player stuff is was originally there to be a reminder that the defender doesn't do it when they win a conflict. But right. that can just as easily be, you know, achieved by putting a sentence in the rule book saying the defender doesn't resolve the ring effect when they win a conflict. Um, and then you don't need to mess around with all of this, the attacking player stuff in ring effects on card abilities, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's it. That's, that's where we're going. That's the, the new future for ring effects is there is a, there is an effect. There is a game effect that happens when you resolve the ring effect. And it is worded as if it were a card ability because in many senses, ring effects are just automated card abilities that are attached to tokens instead of cards, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can resolve that effect either by winning as the attacker or by using a ring or by using a card ability. And yeah. both of those are equally valid. And from a from a just a quality assurance and consistency standpoint, having to remember or not remember, to having to remember to put as attacking player on those. Uh, it's just it, it simplifies things. Like you, so now you don't have to remember to do that. You just say, "Do you want this person to resolve the ring effect?" You don't have to put as attacking player. It cleans up the language, much like you cleaned up the language uh, with your uh, new templating of duels. So in Children of the Empire, you had initiate a military or political duel, right? And that that initiate a blank duel had a certain set of steps associated with it which only took three words, right? Two mm -hmm. words and an icon. And then players know what to do there instead of saying, choose a choose this character and another character your opponent controls, da, 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 right? So just cleaning up some of that templating language allows for more room on the card, uh, less text on the card, and for people to feel better about seeing the card and going, what does this do? 
as yeah. you spoke of, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are other issues with use with shorthanding the the dual initiation, but uh, that's Getting more flavor text, right? Well, but that's, that's that's effectively the same as a keyword, right? The whole point of a keyword is to say, here's this card ability, here's this you know line of rules text, and we're going to shorthand to a single word that you are now we're now putting the onus on you that you need to learn what this word does, but we're going to use it a lot. So you once you learn it once, now you know how it works with every other instance of that effect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, I always I this whole conversation I think of as the uh, Phoenix card tax because I always find when it's Phoenix Dynasty cards, I end up like, give me that one, let me read one sec. Yeah, give me that one, let me read that one. I've always got to dig in and find out what they actually mean. Now, on <laughs> Phoenix cards, Kyu <laughs> um, Nasawa, we've got. Dadoji Uji against the waves back on Phoenix and um, Kaio Shihobu working as intended. All of these errated cards. Um, looks like some of these are going to be present in coming OP kits, which is awesome. Uh, the uh, rest one of, of these you are... might have already seen, although it might have been overshadowed by some other issues. That <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we were going to mention, Tyler. We're like, Dadoji Uji have shown up online, but the unique icon is missing. So at least you tried. Well, yes. are we going to see the, the rest of the eroded cards getting some kind of release? Or can you tell us which might see more likely release than others? <laughs> I will say this much. I will say that most of the eroded cards will be prizes in event kits at some point next year. Uh, okay. Right. That's good. So, so uh, not, not, the, not the minor ones, though. Like, I mean... The what, what did you call them? The reprint changes. I'm mm. gonna go. I'm. I, I tend to go out of my way to try to encourage putting updated cards. And I'm. I'm not the guy that makes the decision. I just have you know offer my suggestions. But um, mm -hmm. I'm more likely to encourage putting cards like Restoration of Balance or Against the Waves into a prize kit than I am say Kaiushihobu or or Yogo. Oh, what's her name? The Yogo cancel a spell. Oh, um, um, Yogo Kikyo. Yogo Kikyo, right? Kikyo, like, yeah, thank you. Those are technically errata, and they technically change how the card works, and therefore they're in the errata section. But like, they just make the card work the way people think the card works. Whereas, like, restoration of balance is like we actually change the functional mechanics of the card. So, you know, if we can get it out into players' hands, that would be nice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and um, and again. I'm not the guy that makes the decisions. I'm just saying that's what I tend to encourage. Yeah. Now, the, the change to KI where you must discard a spell as part of the cost now. So you not only do you have to, in order to use KI, you need to have a spell in your, in your discard pile. But now you need to ex basically exchange that spell for one in your hand. And I thought your uh, explanation in your article was uh quite good in terms just in terms of saying you have so is the one in the discard pile more valuable at this point and is it worth it to pay the one that i have in my hand so that kind of decision making is is going to make that more interesting like i said and like we wrote in our intro now you now it's not a just a automatic kind of piloting kind of deck like in terms of the effect now you have to be like is clarity of purpose worth another supernatural storm or you know th those kinds of things those kind of decisions i like i'm i'm actually looking forward to maybe trying out a ki deck for the first time and 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I hope people find it more interesting and fun. Um, there are a lot of very subtle things going on with that change that I like, which is mm -hmm. obviously why I did it. Another change that was tested was the pay a fate. So it's just here you can play your spell again, but it costs you an extra fate. The thing yeah. is that, that like wasn't interesting. It certainly made the card weaker, which of course was one of the points of applying errata to a stronghold was to make the stronghold weaker. But it was there was no interplayer drama to it. It was just now just cost me extra resources. And if I need them, I'm going to spend the resources. And if I don't, I won't. Whereas this is like you have to decide if, like you, like like we said, uh, you have to decide if the spell in your hand is more valuable than the spell in your discard pile, and which one you need now this turn versus next turn. Because like, yeah, okay, I can discard my five fires to play my supernatural storm, and I can still play the five fires later. But like, now it's going to cost me another spell to play that one, and I have to decide when I and if something happens that now I need that event that I discarded right now, but I discarded it. So I don't have access to it because the stronghold is bowed. I can only use that once per turn. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the one that was most compelling to me personally was that there's now a small amount of uncertainty, like especially if hand sizes ever get smaller, the person playing against Kayu Nisawa always has a very small chance that maybe their opponent just has no spell events in their hand and they can't use their stronghold at all. So like right. I can now try to like there's there's this uncertainty of like not only is it is the Kayunasawa player have to make a more difficult choice and therefore maybe they will choose to not use their stronghold because they have determined that the spells in their hand are more important this turn. They also um, have to worry about running out of gas. They also have to worry about running out of gas and the person playing against them has that uncertainty of like I have to I no longer I can I can no longer guarantee that my opponent is going to play that clarity of purpose in their discard pile or that supernatural storm in their discard pile. Like maybe that changes the way I play because if they play it I'm definitely losing so I'm going to try to angle my play to capitalize on if they don't have that ability because they just ran out of spells in their hand then maybe that's the way that I win is my opponent got a little bit unlucky and I'm going to capitalize on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I also, I, I always found fairly irritating against playing KI is <laughs> sometimes I want to go Earthring, but having them discard a card is like irrelevant. Was not really good. I wanted to draw one maybe, but I didn't necessarily want them to discard one because then they would have something, you know, then it's not really, really getting rid of it. But yeah, by, yeah. by having them discard a spell from their hand maybe but with that earth effect that i may be able to trigger against them i get rid of the one spell and i've and i've crippled them for that turn for for using ki it's interesting too because we're we're um, recording this you know uh in december and obviously in december and there's a lot of talk about the dragon pack and <laughs> one of the things is like so you get to look at their hand so you get to look at their hand it strikes me that looking at their hand and seeing that there's no spells suddenly uh, really relevant suddenly is a huge deal right or or which spell do they have and do i want to force them to discard that one to play the other yep. one or something yep. to that effect right it's a little bit more interesting interesting um, yeah yeah I, 
I also have to give you props for the making the change to against the waves because that allows me to play Shugenja again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a there was there was a lot of back and forth of like, how best do we remove this sort of stranglehold on the Shugenja trait that Shugen that uh, Phoenix has? Yeah, and once I learned that there was going to be a prize kit coming out in early 2020 with against the waves in it i was like this is my chance <laughs> because that's the cleanest answer right yeah yeah against the waves isn't particularly fun when it's used to bow the opponent's shugenja it was fine in the core set when there just weren't as as many shugenja and they weren't as centerpiece to decks like iuchi shahai is the centerpiece to an entire deck mm -hmm. um and honestly, and so, it, 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 in the corset, with just the corset, bowing a Shugenja on the other side of the table was a lot less of a, impactful than bowing a Shugenja on your side of the table. Or, sorry, readying ready, one on yeah. your side. Mm -hmm. Right? So it so, was still, even then, mostly a ready a Shugenja effect. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But also just, like, there are so many bow effects in the game, despite the fact that the fate mechanic uh, incentivizes um, prayer, incentivizes loading up on a single character. There's a lot of bow effects that punish loading up on a single character, right? And so this was just another piece in that in that equation of like, why am I going to spend five fate on this awesome, you know, elemental master or whatever when my opponent's just going to spend one to bow them and now I'm out, you know, my entire investment for the whole turn. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And the point of against waves was originally that it would be inconsistent because like Shugenja usually are more about their abilities than their stats. So maybe bowing them isn't as important. People don't build all Shugenja decks. So like that's not as important, but as the card pool has grown, obviously we've seen that people want to build, you know, around their clans Shugenja family. Mm -hmm. And as long as this card exists to bow me, then I just can't do it or it is too, right it's there's too much of a liability yeah um, it'll it obviously just a slightly strange fu to shugenja in specifically because there's no like you know baobushi baokortia wasn't an right. odd little beast yeah well i mean there's a lot of weirdness around the shugenja trait because of that because there's a lot of cards that are like that mm -hmm. but uh and this was like the, which one is it it's the it's the one where you bow a phoenix shugenja and you honor another honor one guy. to honor a guy yeah yeah um oh. the thing that that really sold me on I'm going to use errata here in addition to the fact that a it was simple and b I knew I could get updated copies into people's hands was that against the waves if I restricted it or banned it it would basically just leave the card pool entirely and that wouldn't do that wouldn't achieve the goal that I set out to achieve when I unrestricted it which was I want people to be able to play their Shugenjas and I want especially people who aren't Phoenix to be able to play their Shugenjas and have rewards for that. Like if I take away all of the Shugenja rewards because they're, they have these other problems attached to them, then like there's no reason to play Shugenjas anymore. Now, obviously I'm, ex uh, this is hyperbole, but like the reason that I unrestricted it was because I wanted people to have more freedom to play their non-Phoenix Shugenjas and restricting or banning it would take that incentive away and I didn't want to. So totally. 
these are all some great changes. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the uh, RRG updates? Simply that a lot of this was only possible because we also were working on an updated learn to play and having those go hand in hand allowed me to change more things than I otherwise would have, such as the phase structure and also should hopefully ease the, certainly ease the barrier to entry to the game by presenting a more updated learn to play, um, but also ease the transition to the new rules even though, again, most of these rule changes are fairly minor. Cool. cool. So uh, one of the big things that I liked from the second, uh, uh, the, your second announcement was the <laughs> change to the rotation cycle from five packs to seven. Uh, I've thought yeah. for a while that the car, that yeah, at three cycles, the card pool is too small. That's so, a, uh, can you share some thoughts on that? That's going to take a lot of people by a lot of surprise, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah well, for sure. And uh, you, you've said uh, that cycle five was tested with the first two cycles not included. And it was found that the, you know, that there were too few cards. So now that we're not going to be existing in that meta, that we're going to have cycles one and two stick around for a while. Uh, do you think there might be some OP sort of combinations out there that haven't been tested? No. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the first That's thing awesome is, to hear. Tyler. The first thing is that the way that playtesting, like people think playtesting works the way that the game exists after it comes out, right? Like the game comes out and people try to solve the metagame. That's not how playtesting works at all. Um, Agreed. Mm -hmm. The way that playtesting works is we are evaluating each card and each theme, not in a vacuum, but like on its own merits and within the larger context of the power level of the game. Playtesting does not see the, does not see overarching trends. Playtesting does not see, you know, which clan is too good and which clan is too weak. Like that's impossible for playtesting to see. A lot of attention is placed on individual cards and individual mechanics, but very little, if any, attention during playtesting is spent on are the clans balanced? You know, uh, what strategies are too, you know, like what overarching strategies are too strong or too weak, et cetera, et cetera. Um, simply because like it's outside of the scope of what playtesting could ever uh, hope to achieve. Um, yeah, ship to your body's working it, on it, right? A, a card gets, will be played in more games the day, or I'll say the weekend it comes out. Actually, no. Yeah, I'll say the weekend just to hedge my bets. But like a card will get played in more games the the first weekend it comes out than it ever got in playtesting. And that's not even considering the fact that when you're playtesting, you know, card text changes every week. Um, <laughs> like, uh, so again, yeah. like when, when the cards are changing every week, it's impossible to know which clans are too good or which, you know, themes or strategies are too good or too weak or whatever. Like, and the other thing, and, and so what that means is as I've gotten better at developing the game, it's easier for me to pick out problematic interactions and sometimes there are interactions that i'm well aware of could be problems but for various reasons it's more important to let it loose in the world see if it actually is a problem or if it's not like you should you can imagine how much time i spent thinking about uh whether or not i was breaking the game when i printed duel to the death like i genuinely thought <laughs> there was a real chance that duel to the death could just break l5r now it didn't right. but right. like that's the kind of thing is like, I don't know 
and and it, it's even more obvious when you consider that like one of the things that I did at one point was shortly before Duel to the Death came out, I was like, Crane's a little too good. It needs to be weaker, but not by a lot. And also, I know Duel to the Death is coming out, and I know that Four Shame is really good, so we're going to restrict Steward of Law. And then right. if there is a problem, I'm going to nip it in the, bu- in the bud because I'm a little concerned about Duel to the Death. Right. But mm-hmm. even if it's not, I'm still weakening Crane, which was the original goal of that restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you giving us this insight into the playtesting uh, process. That's awesome. Ah, uh, well, that's the perspective I have, I guess. Yeah. Well, right, the, but the, like, some of the some of the f- more fun moments uh, during uh, my per- particular time during playtest were when you had those cards where the collective group was going, "We don't know about this, Tyler," and you'd be like, <laughs> "We're good." we're good. I'm going to let it out into the world and it's going to, we're going to let it roam the countryside and see if it doesn't kill everything. Or maybe it just takes a nap in a cave. Right. Right. And like the, the other one that, that people are absolutely, I'm sure already talking about. And if not, then I'm sure they will be soon is uh city of the rich frog and those who serve. Oh, is yeah. that going to be a problem? Probably. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really strong, but like, I'm not going to let those who serve a single card, cut off an entire cycle's worth of design space. If it is a problem, I'll deal with those who serve. Is it going to be a problem? Maybe. I'm well aware of that. Like, I'm not blind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a risk I'm willing to take because in order to keep the game fun, you sometimes need to take some risks. Yeah, completely. And so, like, A, yes, this is a potential risk, saying we playtested without heavily looking at cycles one and two. I did a little bit internally without, you know, looking at cycles one and two in the context of, of cycle five. But more importantly, my ability to judge what is and is not a problem is more keen, is, is more uh, effective than it was two years ago. Like, I believe that if there is a problem, if, if there is a problem that I can identify as the developer during playtesting, then absolutely we need to get rid of it. I didn't, I didn't come up with any. That doesn't mean that there may, might not be problems because, you know, card interactions are extensive and there are a few of them that, uh, and, and oftentimes it's not about two specific cards interacting together. It's more about, I have this suite of eight cards that are all, you know, kind of generally moving towards the same game plan. And it just turns out that that particular game plan is too good. Mm-hmm. I'll jump back again to when I restricted young rumor monger. Part of that was because he was like wildly complicated with dependent thens and uh, replacement effects and whether or not the character that was replaced onto was getting honored or dishonored or not, or whether it was just like changing who received the token, but who was actually honored. Like there was this whole like rules nightmare with young rumor monger. Um, but and you also, wanted to save yourself about 60 hours of work over a six-month period, so you just said, kinda, yeah. screw it. Um, well, and <laughs> also, like, if a card is that complicated, then 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 the game is better off without it. Yeah. Now, I no longer think that, A, I no longer think that Young Rumormonger himself is so complicated as to cause problems, and part of that is because I updated some of the rules. But also, I think that we're at a point in the card pool where Young Rumor a critical component to scorpion decks and so just the larger hold on uh, tyler what did you say there that it is or is not a critical component 
that it is not a critical component oh, okay. to right. uh to scorpion decks which means that like if the natural card pool is out competing this one card then i don't as a developer need to artificially remove him from the card pool i can just say here's this card yes he's strong but you know if if you if he's not making the cut then he, it's as if right now it's player choice and not me telling right. you to play your card mm-hmm. right. anyway one of, but one of the reasons that he was restricted initially was also as a subtle way to attack the scorpion dishonor deck because that deck had no big bombshells like we talk about cards like um a fate worse than death and and mark of shame and whatever and yes those are are obvious cards to pick to go on a restricted list because they're they're powerful but a lot of scorpion dishonor decks were not winning off of any one card they were winning off of playing court games and way of the scorpion and for shame and whatever any other card I can think of that says dishonor your opponent <laughs> of, of a right? large like, number they were just jamming every single card that said dishonor into the same deck and no one piece was the problem it was just that they were all kind of doing the same thing that's not something play testing's ever going to see Mm-hmm. Right. Who's going right. to build that? Yeah. Um, because that's a that's a trend, and that's that's like a metagame trend, and that's a like I can build the deck in playtesting, and I can play it, and it'll be good. Just because a deck is good doesn't mean it's a problem. It's not a problem until yeah. it's winning, you know, four cotes over six months or whatever, and uh, oppressing the metagame such that other decks aren't can't compete with it. Like that requires four months or three months of everyone in the whole world has access to these cards to figure that out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so like it is entirely possible that there was some interaction that will require addressing between the first two cycles and cycle five. I don't think that will be the case. I think that if that was the case, then the cards in cycles one and two, that would be a problem would be a problem regardless of what I put in cycle five. Right? Like if Mark of shame is too good, just period then the problem isn't its interaction with for shame or whatever. It's just the mark of shame is too good. And so you restrict it and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's the other thing about this, about changing rotation is that changing rotation also gives me as a developer, the opportunity to restrict or ban cards earlier than they would normally rotate. If I think that the format's going to be better now it's because now, now there's no longer this, you know, this argument of, well, why ban the card when it's going to rotate? And like, right. Okay. Yeah, because the game would be better if I banned the card. So we're going to do it. <laughs> so you get a larger window and then that, that logic falls completely apart instead of just being weak. Yeah. Well, and, and also, and this is the other most important thing is like people look forward to rotation oftentimes because they want to see cards. They dislike leave the environment. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, at some point you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and not only are you losing the like three cards you dislike, you're also losing like 15 cards that you do like. Oh yeah, I was like, why get rid of those a year early when I could keep them around longer and let people play with the cards they like? Yeah, I was not, uh, I would for one, it was now Doug was really excited about this change and I (laughs) was was right behind him Um, because I didn't want to lose a lot of my the cards that that crab has that that i've been playing with in crab and also in in crane and lion that i've been playing recently so it's i just didn't want to lose them i'm like man it goes away i get i get that they're kind of being replaced by other ones but 
man, that's, bleh, this really mm-hmm. sucks. So I, I, for one, it was, was happy to see that. Um, it, it, and what, what it realistically does is it moves it out about a year, maybe, you know, yeah. 16, 18 Not. months. Don't know what other products you have in mind coming now. You know, we we talked about the RG and the the change in cycles. So we're moving on to the to the probably the most the biggest change that you you announced, which was uh, obviously meta defining, and that we have a band list. Uh, it has Ooh. it consists of <laughs> it consists of nine very scary cards. Well, um, okay, I'll, they I'll start with there. guest of honor, uh, eight charge. very scary cards. Wait, eight very scary cards and and Jordan's curse. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the confusing yes. one. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the paradox. Eight scary cards and and Jordan's curse. So you have Guest of Honor, Charge, Isawa Tadaka on the Dynasty side, Karada District, Master of Gishe Toshi, Kanjo District, Hidden Moon Dojo, Miramoto Daisho, and. Jerogen's curse. Now, the first question coming out of here is how many bodyguards do you plan to hire to protect you from dragon players? Uh zero. Um zero? I actually and uh, here's why is I actually talked to a couple of trusted dragon players who are in playtest and whose opinions I val- I, I uh, value. And all of them agreed that taking away Daisho would not would not decrease dragon as a clan's power level significantly, but it would increase the fun for everyone. Involved. So uh, I'm actually okay, not worried. All right. I, so I think, I, I, think I, you... I think people are going to be hap- overall net happier that Daisho is is banned than than the than the alternative. See, I don't think you should be worried about the dragon players. I think you should be worried about the phoenix players. That's a big say, hit yeah, to it's phoenix. A, it's a I mean, I'm not going to say that phoenix was uh, at the. I'm not going to say that. Phoenix is the clan with the most broken cards, but I mean, I'll I did say it. Three of their cards. Well, and there's a trend here, right? You you talked about it in your article. There's a trend of cards that prevent other people from playing cards, yeah. right? Which are take the form of Guest of Honor, Isawa Tadaka, and Master of Gishe Toshi. And then there are the limit one holdings in the specifically in the, form the of- overpowered ones. I don't want people to start thinking that. I'm now just going to ban every limit one holding ever. only the overpowers. Right. right. The Karada district, which is the crab, uh, take control of an attachment district. The Kanjo district, which is the give up the favor, send somebody home for Phoenix. And Hidden Moon Dojo, which is the scorpion one, which allows you to play characters uh, from next door provinces as if they were in your hand. So, and then charge. Uh, for a very long time, charge has been a, a thing. So I think no <laughs> one is surprised to see charge on the ban list. In fact, the ban list started with charge. Oh, it started with charge. All right. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. That was card number one on the ban list. Card Can number you tell two us? Was card number two was Isawa Tadaka? Okay. Yeah. And once I banned Tadaka, it was very obvious that uh, Guest of Honor and Gisei Toshi also had to go for the same reason. Yeah. I can't justify banning Tadaka and not justify banning those two cards because all three of them effectively do the same thing. Right. Now to be clear, this is a ban list for OP only, right? These cards are still, you can still play these cards in the, in the uh, upcoming clan war expansions. If you're playing for fun, um, um, kitchen table, so on and so forth. Right. Yes. And that's actually something that, that I want to explore more. This is, you are now getting a glimpse into sort of my, 
my thoughts and aspirations and not into things that I'm actively working on. But something that I would like to explore more is different ways to play the game, different formats, different whatevers, right? Like, and the thing is, all of those can be treated differently. Tadaka, not a problem in Enlightenment. Tadaka, not a problem in Draft. If there's even a world in which I could have two different tournament style formats, one with a much heavier ban list and one without. Well, right? Magic like, has done then, that for years, right? Yeah, so and exactly then if you want to play yeah. like, you know, balls to the wall, most powerful cards that have ever been printed, go for it. You can do that. But that's not going to be the main format because the main format needs to cater to the most amount of fun for the most amount of players, which will require banning and restricting a bunch of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. But like, that's again, that's just for that format. Maybe there's multiple Imperial Law documents. I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get there. <laughs> Maybe I'll make an Imperial Law document for like Team Conquest and then another one for like uh, Enlightenment and then another one for, I guess I don't need to do one for draft because I can just take it out of the draft pool. But uh, <laughs> right, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Elf yeah. um, R is a great game and there's tons of depth and, and variety to it. So let's embrace that. Let's have lots of ways to play. And then let's, you know, optimize them all for the format that they are rather than trying to jam one ban restricted list for every way to play the game. In fact, that's why I took it out of the rule book entirely because I wanted to... To sort of separate uh, the game from OP a little bit? Well, I wanted to... I wanted the rule... I, I wanted to de- disconnect the idea that the tournament way to play the game is the primary or optimal way. Like if your preferred way to play L5R is battle box and that's all you want to play. Great. Play battle box and be happy and enjoy the game. You're still enjoying the game because it's a good game. Uh, that format is not any lesser and you are not any lesser for, pl- for playing it than, you know, the prime, the Kote tournament format or whatever. Yeah, well, and Battle yeah. Box is a lot of fun. So is Daimyo, so is Draft. I mean, they, yeah. they are absolutely fabulous ways to play the game. Yeah, you, you, you want L5R to be L5R, not L5R to be Tournament. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like, Definitely. don't get me wrong, we still have lots of, you know, crazy stuff coming, and uh, I have ridiculous ideas for what we can do to make the Tournament series fun. Um, and certainly <laughs> we will continue to be supporting the Tournament series quite a bit. But I don't want that to be the hierarchically best one or the hierarchically first one or whatever. Like, I just want that to be the one that we run events for and that, and that is maybe the default, but that doesn't make it the best. Uh, that, mm-hmm. just makes it, that just makes it the one that gets the most attention. And that's because I think, you know, it's the most optimized for a constructed format and then we can get into the whole constructed or non-constructed right or whatever yeah so <laughs> i think that so far you've been pretty successful with that you know the the rrg updates that you did right before worlds i think really succeeded in making worlds uh, more of a of a wild card sort of thing and made the the whole event more fun and uh, this one will do the same, I think. <laughs> so you you, I like what you're doing so far. I think you've been very successful. So that's awesome. Thanks. I will say this much. This was the optimal and possibly the only time I could get away with such dramatic changes to the game. You know, changing a bunch of rules, adding a band list, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and why is that, Tyler? This period after Winter Court, after Winter Court World Championships, 
before the Cote season kicks off, before next year's product releases kick off, like this While is people kind are of still a, reacting to the free the rolls. Right, exactly. Like there are not a bunch of other imminent changes to the game that are about to hit, which means that things are kind of quiet, which means that people will have more time to process and test with and uh, rebuild their decks, et cetera, et cetera. People have more time to uh, ingest these changes and process these changes on their own without having to say, okay, but like, I need to worry about these changes and I also need to worry about these cards that just came out and I also need to worry about this event that I'm going to in two weeks. Like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to land any major changes like this on kind of a quiet period so that people wouldn't be overwhelmed by changes because that is a thing that happens sometimes as people get overwhelmed by changes. Yeah. Now there is, there is a, the Vegas, the Las Vegas open is coming up uh, in the third week in January, third weekend in January. So I think that's the biggest scheduled uh, event coming. And this, this gives them a month to, yeah. and to I think adjust. that's, reasonable. yeah, mm-hmm. I think, I think one month is reasonable. Um, yeah. But you make a point about um, players getting overwhelmed with changes there. You're in the problem where if you change too much at one time, you can't work out what the issue was if one turns up, right? You know? And that's also why I'm just going to be super upfront. Like all of the changes to the ban restricted list with this update, I basically did not consider which clan is getting overly nerfed or underly nerfed or how are the clan power levels going to, you know, inter clan power levels going to to shake out because a i'm changing so much that guessing that is just impossible and b this is going to be kicking off a season where we're going to have a lot of cards coming out next year uh with more consistently more consistency than we saw last year wait we're gonna have more cards than the seven clan packs (laughs) no 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 no. uh we're not going to have more cards than we had in 2019 um but we are they are going to be more consistent um you're uh you're not going to see like two clan packs coming out two weeks apart right we saw it twice with the the crane and unicorn packs mm-hmm. and then with the lion and, and crab packs mm-hmm. um, like that's not going to happen it's going to be more consistent you know as we have intended but what that means is there's always going to be some amount of change happening throughout the year well that's sort of the way an lcg should work right um but and and so the thing is that like because change is going to be consistently happening throughout the year it's going to be more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult to determine which clans or which strategies are too good or too weak or whatever, because mm-hmm. there will be new things constantly and, and decks will be changing, even if just a little bit, because packs are, are relatively small. Um, <laughs> and unlike in 2019, 2020 will have uh, free, uh, a role free, right? So the roles will be free. So people will be for those. And we talked about this in previous episodes. When you have a very powerful deck archetype that's coming through from one clan or maybe two, the answers might exist in the card pool for the other clans, but because they're behind roll lock cards, they can't get to them. Right. Yeah. So those so those answers are locked behind are locked in a safe. And so those two clans continue to propagate and do well, while the other ones are just like, we're trying to find something in what we have. But now that the rolls are free then you can unlock that safe and say, okay, we're going to do this. So then, so then that, that creates a whole cascading effect, right? People are consistently altering things. So I think the free the rolls 
together with even if you don't have the same number of cards if you just have a consistent release of cards that will just sh keep shaking up the meta and you're I, and i agree with you i think that uh trying to predict what's going to come of this is is uh, a futile futile effort well mm -hmm. and like two things one is you're going to see more regional differences i think um i think that specific cotes are going to have specific metagames based on where they are and the kinds of people who are going to them because there are definitely regional differences in how people play this game um mm. which is going to make it difficult for you know a a global consensus on which decks are too good which clans are too good which ones are too weak etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah um and it, in addition to that this is the big you know the big change right in the next update Maybe I'll change nothing. Maybe I'll change one card. Maybe I'll change three cards or whatever. When I'm only changing a couple cards on the ban restricted list, it's much easier to figure out what that impact will be. And so if, if I'm like, hey, I think this card should go on the restricted list, it's much easier to say, okay, based on what we know, it's probably going to weaken this clan and strengthen this other clan that, that was being kept down or whatever. When you're banning nine cards and changing 12 cards on the restricted list it's just impossible to know what the the fallout is going to be until it happens and frankly i i expect that to take months to for people to really figure out and by then there will be new cards coming so like just as people are starting to figure out that like oh hey this is the ramifications of the latest banned restricted list update all of a sudden they have clan war and they're like okay now here's a whole there's like 90 cards or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and now they have to reevaluate what they had thought they had figured out uh, with the new cards. Is how much does this change the metagame, et cetera, et cetera? That's standard card game stuff. But again, that's why with this update, it's less about trying to sculpt a specific metagame and more about trying to establish a new norm. And then in the future, it can be much more targeted sculpting style adjustments. Mm -hmm. restricted one card right, you're trying to trim trim the you're trying to trim the game up right through elimination of uh unneeded uh effects phases what have you right and you're trying to take the cards that have been problematic in the past for whatever for various reasons and say okay we're gonna just do this and and um so it's really the start of an experiment right like like to some extent a grand experiment and, and what see is Alpha what happens. Not a grand experiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd say as well, like, you've been talking, you've talked a fair bit about the um, how you selected what cards went onto the ban list and all that. I'm going to kind of throw in a slightly more selfish question here. Um, on the subject of Hidden Moon Dojo, to take an example, um, mm -hmm. I looked at looked at you putting um, that going onto the ban list and went, okay, I can kind of see that in the, in the larger viewpoint of the game overall, but the cards announced coming up in the domain cycle... How much of that's related to something like Dojo going on the list? Uh, not at all. Really? I, like I said, I can't, I can't predict what strategies, what interactions are going to be too strong or too weak. I can predict some of them. Like I said, I, I know that Rich Frog and those who serve is going to be very powerful. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be game warping, game breaking? Maybe. Is it going to be game warping? Maybe. If it is, I will deal with it. But like. I didn't design cards in the Dominion cycle because of or uh, around Hidden Moon Dojo, and I didn't ban Hidden Moon Dojo 
I have there are cards coming out in the Dominion cycle because of it. Um, I banned Hidden Moon Dojo because the card, you know, the way that the card plays within the whole context of the game is too strong given its inconsistency. And now I will say this much, there is an argument for not banning those those holdings because I specifically put more anti-holding tech, if you will, into the Dominion cycle to make the contents of people's provinces matter more and to have more interaction there. So that could be an argument for not banning it because theoretically the answers are out there, but I decided, or will be out there soon, but I decided that like, because... Uh, these three holdings are limit one per deck. They're super inconsistent, which means that like they need to appear in my opponent's provinces at the same time that I have the answer. And maybe I can consistently get the answer, but they're not consistently getting the threat. And if I have these cards in my hand to deal with Hidden Moon Dojo, but they do meaningful for me, like then I'm then now they're a liability because they're in my hand doing nothing. Right? Mm -hmm. It was yeah, just simple. Ban the card that is too strong because its inconsistency makes it difficult to fight against. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really good to hear, actually, I'd say. Yeah, it's awesome. So do you ever like foresee a time when these cards would come off the ban list? To be perfectly honest, I find it unlikely that any of the non-Jerogen's Curse cards come off the ban list. Maybe if Dueling <laughs> evolves more, then Miramoto Daisho could leave. Right? Like, if... If the way that people engage with duels changes in some capacity when, you know, as cards come out and mechanics get explored, um, because that was more of a addressing a specific negative play experience that I don't think the next cycle would change. Whereas like charge is basically never coming off. I don't, I don't see guest of honor or, uh, or Gisei Toshi ever coming off. Maybe Tadaka, but I think that people have enough negative will towards that version that even if people start building more singleton-style decks or less event-heavy decks, then even if that happened and he became weaker, people still wouldn't want him off the list. <laughs> right? <laughs> he, um, yeah. he, may, he may have done his time, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Jurgen's Curse is the one that like definitely could I could see coming off and I frankly only put it on because the amount of change that that card effect will see given the rules change, uh, the change of the, of the fate phase, mm -hmm. is one that I was not comfortable letting the public you know, determine whether or not it broke the game or not. And <laughs> this is one case where I'm playing it safe and I'm saying I'm going to ban the card, I'm going to keep testing it, I'm going to keep you know, monitoring it. People, I encourage people to still play with the card in casual games so they can learn what it does now with the new rules. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing is like what I wouldn't want is for here's this card that was kind of innocuous before and then I changed the rules and now it's like completely warping the way that the game functions because it was just designed for a different version of the game. And if that is not the case and it, still is functional and strong but not game warping and once people like learn the new play pattern of the card then maybe it can the ban list but again this was this was very much like a 
I think that the game is much more straightforward and much cleaner without the regroup phase that only affects one card in the whole card pool. Like it's the same with reordering discard uh, illustrious plagiarist, right? Like, mm -hmm. yes, I acknowledge that I took this card that was kind of like a C minus and made it an F because now it just never does what you want it to do. And yes, it sucks that one card is, is nerfed because of this change or in Jurgen's curse, one card is banned because of this change. But I think mm -hmm. that it's necessary going forward for the game to be more fun. Um, yeah. And especially with the dis discard pile thing, it actually opens up design space. Completely. I'm yeah. not going to tell you what that design space is, but it does open up design space. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really what you got rid of when you got rid of the regroup phase was that second action window, because we had the fate phase, the action window during the fate phase, and then almost immediately followed up by the action, then the closing of the fate phase, and then the action window happening in the regroup phase, and then all the regroup happening. So you just kind of, cleared that up i'm looking at the document now and if is that correct and basically what drogen's curse does is it replaces all that stuff so, so here's the deal with Jordan's curse. really really complex here's the deal with Jordan's curse yes the complexity of the card goes way up because now it's doubling twice as many things mm -hmm. and potentially more importantly the air quotes cost on Jordan's curse of you have to keep your character ready goes away because now when the fate phase ends, everything is ready because everything readies during the fate phase. Oh, right. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the reason to get rid of the regroup phase was A, there was an unnecessary action window. B, there was this weird like separation of here's two phases that kind of do the same thing. C, it really streamlines the introduction of the game. Um, to a surprising amount. You don't think about it because they kind of do the same thing. That was part of the problem but mm -hmm. the difference between having to learn four phases and three uh, four phases and five phases doesn't sound like much but it actually matters a lot especially if there's no meaningful difference between them in the context of both of them are about cleaning up the board consolidate you know reconsolidating resources and setting up for the next round and mm -hmm. people were jamming them together in in, in in a lot of play situations anyways yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um and so wh what Jurigen's curse does now is wild. So before <laughs> before it would remove characters with no fate, remove characters with fate, put fate on rings. It would double that. Now it goes like this. I have Jurigen's curse on my guy or on your guy and we discard characters with no fate, then we remove one fate from every character, then we put one fate on every ring. Then we have an action window, which I'll skip. Then we discard cards from provinces, send back our rings, ready all of our characters, and then do it all again. So now we're, you, you get the same like double kill, like double board wipe effect that you got from the original version. But now mm -hmm. every single ring will end up with a fate on it because you returned rings and then put fate on unclaimed rings. The first player token moves twice, which oh, is weird. so it goes back to the person. <laughs> no, yeah, it goes cool. back to the, per the oh person. Oh my! Started God. with it. That's actually the weirdest part, and that was the thing that was so disruptive that I felt we needed to, you know, temporarily ban or maybe potentially permanently ban Jurgen's Curse because it's easy enough to be like, okay, yeah, you do the the, the fate thing, and you're not going to clear broken provinces twice because they re refill face down or whatever. It really is the the ready cost no longer matters 
which is awkward because that's text on a card that now is irrelevant when that's bad. Um, the first player token switches twice, which is weird um, and very not intuitive. But if people learn it and it's not a problem, then great. You can have it, have it back. Well, and the extra fade on rings is not an insignificant oh. change either. Right. The, the claimed rings also get fake, which was slightly different. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that is a... It looks weird when you see it, but obviously once I explain it, hopefully it makes sense. Um, and yeah. I think that as people adjust to the new function of Jordan's Curse, if that function does not turn out to be a problem, then it can come back. But in the meantime, I wanted to give people a buffer so that it wouldn't cause any, 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 it wouldn't cause so much of a change to the way that people were seeing the game played. Because like, that's the other thing is I'm making a lot of changes, but the hope is that most of these changes are invisible. And so if I changed Jurgen's curse and then it showed up in major events in large numbers, that might be a, be problematically too much of a change too fast for some people. I don't want to, you know, Sticker shock people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and with the with the changes to the the fate and regroup phases, Jerogen's curse becomes a uh, way of the unicorn just on steroids. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. But it also like kills your own board, and it yeah. is void locked, and it's it's, a we it's been a weird card since day one. To <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gets stranger. Yeah. All right, so um, let's turn our attention kind of to the to the updated restricted list. So we're going to take this, uh, even though you, as you said, Tyler, you didn't take this by clan. You didn't consider, you, you considered ind individual cards uh, more than the effect on the metagame and the clan balance and whatnot. But we'll, we're just going to, uh, for, for sakes of, of presentation, we're going to change it and we're going to go through it by clan. So, crab, I mean, that's how people are going to receive it, certainly. Yeah, and that's on how they're the going to process player, it. Focus on the crab cards, etc. Yep, yep. Yeah. So the crab list uh, went unchanged. Rebuild and Pathfinder's Blade remain. Uh, I don't see either one of those coming up. Coming up for you know maybe being off that list. Rebuild is going to. Rebuild is so such a big deal, especially in the post crab post defenders of Rokugan now. Where the uh, crab have so many Caillou walls and they integrate so well together, having rebuild provide another level of consistency would to to those walls would be uh, is is powerful. So I think that's reasonable to keep it on there. Rebuild is just too strong for its cost. There's yeah. a lot of cards that cost zero that really shouldn't cost zero, and it's on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, right, so we, Pathfinder's Blade. If that that's totally mm -hmm. a reasonable card if it costs one, but uh, it doesn't. So yeah, yeah. And so we move on to Crane. Uh, Crane had uh, their entire list changed. Not only yep. did Uji get eroded, um, so then he comes off the list, uh, as well as Steward of Law, which you mentioned earlier, coming off the list. But then they had Magistrate Station, which is their province, and Kikita, to Kikita Toshimoko are both on the list now. So there's Kikita a... Toshimoko, the most divisive <laughs> card in L5R. <laughs> Yeah, the card is yes. either yes. very reasonable and fair, if strong, or completely warps the game and is a bane to everything that has ever happened. Yeah, Depending it's kind of like Bill are. Belichick and the Patriots, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, New England Patriots. Either you hate, you either yep. late hate Toshimoko, or you love him, 
Um, why, well, Tobin? Why are you bringing sports ball into this? <laughs> I, because I don't know. Because because that's how I think sometimes. Brady and Belichick is is a kid is akin to Kakita Toshimoko, right? My thoughts are who they is who. Win. Tom, they Tom, just Tom Brady, win. more than Belichick, but I'm less knowledgeable maybe than you. Okay, all right. <laughs> not, not less knowledgeable. Brady is, than me. Brady is someone that like that like as far as I'm aware, Pat, uh, Patriots fans actively like. Uh, to a, to a fair amount, and everyone else hates just because he keeps winning stuff. Yeah, well, he's the best player to play the game, right? <laughs> so it's just it's just kind of sad for those of us who don't have him on his team. So that's and that's that's my point, right? Kikita Toshimoko is like Brady. He's like the best character to ever play the game, almost. Maybe you can make arguments. L five R original uh, original Tadaka case, before but. any of the erratas. Uh, you know, when as he was printed coming out of this, the Phoenix pack is better than Toshimoku. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, that's true. But Toshimoku just completely canceled stuff. So, any anything you want to say about these two cards, Tyler, that you haven't already said in your article? Toshimoku is obviously a very divisive pick here. Um, I think that uh, part of it is just that I want to make you commit to Toshimoku more if you're going to run him. I he will never be. I, I can't imagine him being banned, for example. Um, he's yeah. not he's not that much of a problem but like you know you put him on the restricted list and now it's like you can if i want to build a deck with toshimoko i'm building around toshimoko which people were doing anyway yeah right yeah it's and like, magistrate station oh, just made him like stupid good yeah <laughs> magistrate station was actually the problem um toshimoko is on here because you have to if you're going to put magistrate station on there <laughs> well i because i want people to build around him he's powerful enough to be worth it Frankly, if you compare his raw power to the raw power of the other cards on the restricted list, I think it's about equivalent. Um, I think it's an actual choice between Toshimoko and Magistrate Station and even potentially uh, some of the neutral options that we'll get to. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's more about making sure that the cards that are on the list deserve to be on the list, and he definitely deserves to be on the list. (laughs) And I think that and the important thing is I think that people are going to enjoy the game more if he's slightly less, you know, omnip- omnipresent in the metagame. I, I, I still agree. expect him to be in a lot of decks, but I no longer expect him to be in every crane deck. Yeah, which is the point, right? So, Which is important. Uh, so moving on to dragon, we have uh, the dragon's list is largely unchanged with the exception, of course, of the addition of the dice show to the ban list so their restricted list stays the same with Monomoto's fury and void fist so void fist is really the the dragon only card um i don't see anyone else running void fist miramoto's fury is strong in a lot of clans which is part Mm -hmm. of why it's there Mm -hmm. yep void fist is just strong yep yep now again a card that costs zero that maybe doesn't need shouldn't cost zero there's there's gonna be a lot of that Having having nope. replayed it so often, yeah, that card should cost something. <laughs> like like, don't be surprised. Like, there's a bunch of zero cost cards that are currently in the game and currently not on the restricted list mm-hmm. that are definitely on my like watch list and may end up on the restricted list at some point. So so from from a from <laughs> twelve months. Yeah. So f- regarding those cards, so as you're as you 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 have that in your head now, right? So uh, presumably we know we can assume because you do your job that you're developing other cards would have, would have zero cost. So how, what are the, 
what what is your philosophy with approach to like okay i want to have this card not cost one fate but it can't cost zero fate it has to cost something else so do you do you conditionalize it do you add uh, an honor cost do you add a bow cost do you have all those things in your toolbox what's your approach there can you give us some insight there well i mean since you listed them the answer is i have all of those in my toolbox <laughs> okay the right. answer that you're probably looking for is if the card is too weak at one and too strong at zero then you either add a condition so that it's not as consistent or you make the card weaker ah okay make yeah. it, just yeah. make it weaker um you know sometimes it's like oh this card's slightly too good so it can't affect unique characters done ah okay yeah yeah okay. or whatever yeah 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 all right so uh for the lion clan i I think I hear uh, lions, lion players cheering um, loudly uh, when I you see for greater glory came off the list. Now you with the, remo the, the removal of charge, the banning of charge makes FGG uh, a much more reasonable card. Is that correct? Yep. You could even say that the lion players are all roaring in enthusiasm. <laughs> um, the, uh, yes. The... Um, for, for greater glory was only ever on the restricted list because of charge. Charge is now gone. For greater glory is free. Huzzah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, as so Crane got some changes. Phoenix got some changes as well. They, uh, with the removal of Tadaka, Dynasty Tadaka, the secluded shrine came off the list. One of the interesting parts is that Curry Mori made it onto the list uh, with uh, Embrace the Void and Consumed by Five Fires. Uh, why Curry Mori? So here's the deal. I sat down at Kiku Matsuri as a player. I opened up my corset and I looked at all my provinces. And I was like, why is Curry Mori explicitly stronger than every other province in the game? And then that didn't change. And so now it's restricted. <laughs> Yeah, okay. there's, there's there's no counter to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean there is there, there are counters to it. Don't be wrong. Don't, it's you know, don't, he, don't be wrong. No, I mean to that argument. I mean, yeah. oh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. There is uh, there is no reply. It's, yeah, it's purely because I believe Kurimori to be the strongest province in the game. Nothing it has is. changed that opinion yeah. in the two years since the game came out, and uh, so Phoenix players are going to have to stretch if they want to play their their powerful province realistically yeah. speaking i think this mostly means cory mori will actually maybe not i was gonna say i think it'll leave the metagame but maybe it won't it is there are kind a lot of good provinces well yeah. this could end up being a soft band to embrace and consumed putting it on maybe. There. embrace and consumed are really good though that's true yeah, yeah. and yeah. there and you get to run three of those instead of one province although yeah, one province is consistent too so i don't know that's yeah. the point. It's interesting. We'll see. We'll see. Well, forcing Phoenix to choose a different stronghold province is not necessarily a bad choice. <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, here's a here's a a, a, a spoiler. Um, I actually, for a while, was considering eroding it to say can't be a stronghold. Um, but at the end of the day, restriction is cleaner than errata, so I went with that. Yeah, right. I, I, I would, oh, I would, that, I would, that errata would have been a big deal too. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I would almost might have liked that more. But there you go. I get it. Yeah, completely. All right. So moving on to Scorpion, we have, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Young Ruler comes off the list. Uh, four G-Dict, Cunning Magistrate, and the Fate Worse Than Death stay on the list. And two, uh, in the in the kind of the embrace of both uh, both Phoenix and Crane, 
We have Secret Cash, which is the Scorpion, the ever so favorite, amazing corset province for yeah. Scorpion landing on the list, along with uh, Mark of Shame, which is the dishonoring attachment for air rolls. Anything you want yeah. to say about those things, Tyler? Um, Mark of Shame is really good. It does a lot of, it, it punishes a lot of clans that are weak right now. Not Unicorn, but but the other ones. And more importantly, the fact that it A, can't be canceled. Uh, B, um, Dishonor is surprisingly, there. there is an argument, and I'm not going to say whether or not I, but there is an argument to be had that action dishonor a character is stronger than action honor a character. I am seeing if that is the case by uh, restricting um, Mark of Shame, but not Soul Beyond Repair. Mm -hmm. The and I and uh, I think I would so let's so taking that I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. That seems like an interesting point because with the Dishonor token, then a couple of other kill cards open up, right? So, and and Scorpion Kill opens up. When you yeah. have an honored character, you're not necessarily, like, the honoring of a character doesn't necessarily open up other avenues for you other than maybe Voice of Honor. Unless you're playing Crane. In Unless you're playing Crane, lot. right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, which, yeah, which is a significant effect, but for other clans having an honored person doesn't necessarily open options it but it but for a scorpion player having the dishonor token on an opponent's character opens a whole lot of options for them so yeah it's I it's the combination that. of there's a lot of card effects now that punish dishonored characters it's the fact that i invest very little to punish you for investing a lot right mm -hmm. if i dishonor your togashi mitsu or your togashi okuni he's just like completely neutered to a large extent um mm -hmm. and you had to spend like eight or more fate on him um yeah whereas if i'm honoring my uh even if i'm honoring my toshimoko or honoring my hotaru like i had to invest the eight fate there in addition yeah. to honoring them um yeah. right uh plus there's the kill effects plus there's all the other stuff and uh if Mark of Shame were an event, I don't think it would be on the restricted list, is my gut suspicion. Obviously, I don't know because that's not what we live in, but I suspect the can't be canceled part is a bigger deal than you might think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, completely. Whenever I think of Mark of Shame, I think about the fact that I can't do anything about it other than gossip, really, and that only holds it back for a turn. Yep. Right? Um, Same. Obviously, Mark of Shame. Uh, you can't play Mark of Shame. Cool. Obviously, Ichiro is coming out, and he will potentially shake that up. Mm -hmm. But he, I don't. I think we would have to get to like. I think there is a very real possibility that Ichi that Mark of Shame would warp the metagame enough that people would be putting Ichiro in their deck specifically to counter Mark of Shame, which is not. Yeah. I don't want if a card is that metagame warping, then I, then it should probably be on the restricted list. Yeah, right. at the very least. Yep. Okay, uh, moving on to Unicorn, they they are one card in the form of Spyglass, which is really uh, a ban on for Crab <laughs> or a restricted list for Crab, or ha historically was. Uh, that's unchanged, so Unicorn doesn't have any changes there. The uh, I will I will counter oh. by saying something really important there. Sure, 
Um, I suspect people are going to understate the importance of the fact that Lion and Unicorn are both losing charge. Charge has been a critical component to both of those decks or both of those mm -hmm. clan aggressive strategies that is going away. Right. Even though neither of them are seeing a card added to the restricted list, they are both losing charge and that is a big Yeah, yeah. that is a big deal. It is. Well, because like, you know, I've been playing Unicorn lately and there's a lot of charge chags out there. Yep. Poor chags. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's still cavalry. He can still come out with cav reserves. He just has to go away for a while. Yeah. Yep. Uh, on, the, on the neutral the thing side. Is, oh. You just have to pay three for him, not one. Right. That's a big yeah. difference. Three phase oh, is a very difference, you know, than mm -hmm. one. Oh, mm -hmm. Lord. Yeah. Um, all right, so then we move on to the last batch of cards, which are the neutral ones. And Mia Satoshi, uh, for, for reasons that you went into pretty good detail in your article, Mia Satoshi comes off. Yeah, he's the most, I'm sure he's going to be the most hotly contested uh, restricted list change. Yeah. 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 People uh, are at least expecting that Toshimoko might end up on the restricted list. No one's going to see uh, Mia Satoshi coming off. And I think there are going to be a lot of people who are concerned and hear your concerns, and maybe he will go back on their show. But for many <laughs> reasons, I do not think he will be a problem. Okay. And then and then uh, policy debate and gateway tomato remain. And uh, in a surprise move, this one was... This one, to, to me... This one was shocking to me. List, this one was the one that came completely out of left field, which is the Imperial Palace. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> it's in every no. deck. It's well, in every deck. You're like, I'm building a deck, and I go, you know what? Should I take ballast? Yeah, sure. Why not? If we're in that state, it should be restricted. Well, but that's the same yeah. for you could say the same for Bonsai. You could say the yeah. same for True enough, but line. but Palace is a one-off on your province line. It always took up a province law. I can't remember the last time I didn't hit a deck that opened all four and didn't see it. No, I'm not shocked in the slightest, personally. Okay. All right. <laughs> it it wasn't that consistent for me when I used it in decks. And I'd yeah. see it maybe one out of every three games ish. Ty uh, Tyler, any any comment on that? <laughs> uh, it warped the way that people engaged with censure specifically, mm -hmm. which like isn't inherently a problem, um, but it is a very powerful card. Uh, plus two province strength and plus and and I win every glory count is pretty yeah. big deal. Yeah, um, it is a big deal. Most especially because the I win. But everything about the palace is designed to protect the palace, right? Like uh, the plus two province strength makes it hard to break. The plus three glory makes it hard to discard because now I have center. I can defend myself. Uh, and again, it's 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 right at the cusp of. There's an argument that it's not uh, not on the same level as the three band uh, holdings, which is again their band and it's not um, right. But it is definitely up there in, in the discussion. Um, and I wanted to explore the possibility of if this card that is inconsistent but also powerful uh, is so good or is, is like this, maybe I want you to have to commit to taking it. Um, and especially if I remove it from every deck. Like, this was definitely the card that was put on the restricted list because it was ubiquitous. Um, and if I'm making it no longer ubiquitous, I'm actually making it stronger, right? Because 
there's no longer the guarantee that, well, I have my palace, but if you flop into your palace, now they cancel each other out. Like if I have palace, I'm pretty likely that you don't. And now my palace is just pure upside. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and it's part of this package that I'm, that I'm intentionally constructing of selecting palace as your restricted card and including Mia Satoshi and censure in your deck to help consistently get it. And now you have this little Imperial package uh, that is highlighted around the palace and the palace is better because it's not in every deck. We will see, I'm curious to see if the holding destruction, the, the, the cards that interact with cards and provinces that are coming in the next cycle, how much of an impact they have. There's a possibility that the palace could come off the list uh, if there's enough cards, interaction with cards and provinces coming. But uh, this was my, this was more than anything else, my, my first claim. At the end of the article, I explained that like, I'm going to start considering cards for restrictions and bans due to ubiquity rather than potentially due to strength. And this is the first one of those. Yep. Mm -hmm. cool. yep. Okay. All right. So um, I mentioned worlds a little bit before. But uh, so I, I am curious, you know, I thought it went very well, but, uh, you know, did it play out as you had hoped? Were there, you know, what were the positives and negatives, you know, f from your point of view uh, for World? Uh, I thought that draft was going to be popular. I was not expecting it to be anywhere close to this popular. Uh, <laughs> that was a smash. So that yeah, was cool. I think... Honestly, it was popular enough to warrant making the draft pack a a physical product that FFG sells. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up because it it is that it, your statement is less true than you think. Oh, that's too <laughs> bad. A big part Fair. of it is because it is not a product that everyone would buy, even mm -hmm. if everyone played draft. That's but, too bad. Uh, yeah, no, draft is good. Um, the rules should be coming out soon if they have wonderful. Already. I still hate Tengu Sensei, by the way. <laughs> I have scarred you. Were there any areas of, like, when you, uh, looking at the deck lists, looking at the performance, looking at so on and so forth, those things that we talked about, do you have any areas of concern with respect to, well, it, I guess this doesn't, we had this question line in here, as, as and, I'm, and as I'm saying it, I'm realizing whatever areas of concern you had, they are not going to apply after January 6th, right? They're out the window. They're just done. <laughs> They're just dead on arrival. Thanos has, <laughs> Thanos has snapped his fingers. <laughs> well, I snapped nine cards out of existence. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. and, and as you said, I broke the gauntlet too, so that's not, that's not happening again. <laughs> so, no. what are your thoughts on the way that the that the that worlds finished up? You know that we had those two mirror matches, you know, Scorpion and Phoenix, leading into a Scorpion on Phoenix uh, final. Uh, I'm not surprised by Scorpion and Phoenix doing well. I am a bit surprised that Crane wasn't in the semifinals. Yeah, um, yeah. It it I think that it was super cool that we had a Kaiden Bayushi deck in the in the finals. And uh I think that our our Shogun definitely uh earned his spot as the victor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He played very well and uh his deck was very good. And Phoenix is strong. Fantastic. You know, issues with removing tokens aside at one point. <laughs> yes, yes, there was that. And again, see that's exactly the kind of 
like that is a microcosm of why I was so critical about all of the automated elements of the game because like that was an automated element of the game that got forgotten because people were debating about this whether or not this one card could be played and what effect it would have. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was focusing on the card and they just forgot to remove the tokens from his honor pool. And like that's why L5R struggles. That is that is definitely a a a, a struggling point with L5R is that there are a lot of things like that. It is very easy to mess up the, the game state because of how many sort of game automated small steps there are. Um, yeah. And so any chance I can get to minimize that, I'm going to take it. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. that's a solid mentality to have. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Tyler, uh, thank you very much for joining us and uh, in, in doing this. We have, two questions left one l5r related and one is not necessarily l5r related but it's it's a smaller sequence of questions for you (laughs) so the the, the l5r related one uh turning uh so we've talked about the future the past a little bit here overall when i saw the rally keyword i just want to ask you about this it was (laughs) fan i was like this is awesome for those of you for those, maybe i don't know tyler if you played a vampire the eternal struggle but vampire <laughs> the eternal struggle at one point had came out with gehenna cards and it was a card uh, that you played in during the discard phase and you could discard one card during your during your discard phase in vts but instead of doing that you played a gehenna card and I thought that was just a, an amazing way to install another decision point in an otherwise meh phase, right? Um, rally struck me mm. as the same way. Now we have a dynamic coming into the dynasty phase. Can you tell us a bit about how you came up with that or how it came to be? Making the dynasty phase more uh, interactive and more entry and more interesting has been on my to-do list. Uh, this was the the first chance that I got to do it basically. And the rally most, the, the basic concept of what rally is, uh, never changed. Some of the details, some of the specific details changed through, through play testing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but what it was, the, the premise of when I reveal a card in my province, I get an extra card, uh, that stayed all the way through, um, because I wanted to make, uh, your dynasty flop less consistent in terms of number of cards, right? Like we very consistently live in a world where, where you discard four cards or you get four cards in every dynasty flop and that's it. And that's the world we live in. Now we live in a world where you could get a lot more than that. I, and that lets me design cards that I otherwise couldn't put into the game. Um, yeah. Rally is going to be on cards that are more in, are less consistent or more situational. Um, the idea being that here's this card and it was air quotes free during deck building because it replaced itself. But if it's an effect that I'm not going to want in every game, I have to actually be concerned that if I put too many rally cards in my deck, then I might still get a flop of, of a bunch of events that do nothing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's the idea is that like, and also by putting more things that happen, this is, I guess, more to do with dynasty events than rally specifically, but 
more putting more actions to take during the dynasty phase and especially more actions that interact with the process of playing characters should hopefully change the way that people sequence their plays during the dynasty phase yeah, yeah. The, the decision process is like you say is minimal there that's a now i'm really interested to see how that now gets played out like before it was just a matter of which character do i want to play and how much fate do i want to put on them mm-hmm. and here, am i playing against crab and do i have to worry about where the crab well, so that was actually something that, I, well, maybe not in quite so extreme a, a fashion, but that is something that I liked about uh, about that was that yes. the presence of Way of the Crab forced you to change the way that you play the game. And while Way of the Crab is a, maybe an extreme way to do it, <laughs> the idea behind the cycle is kind of that, is to make you care about, no longer do I care about which character do I play and how much fate do I put on them, now I also have to care about what order do I play them in? And can I afford to play this character? Because if I do this, then they're going to do that. And then this is the result. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that you can't do with events in your hand because that's hidden. The fact that the events are now face up in your opponent's province means like at the start of the dynasty phase, I check what is in my dynasty. I check, or I check what's in my provinces. Now I check what's in your provinces. And I'm like, okay. That card in their province is going to uh, is something that I have to play around. So therefore, I have to play this character first, or maybe I can't put you know three fate on this guy because they have this card in their province or whatever. Like all of these are reasons that you have to start caring about how you sequence and what decisions you make in the dynasty phase, and especially that it is face up information for both players makes it more engaging because you have to try to guess what your opponent's priorities are given the information you have which is most of the information that you need at that point yeah little, yeah. little chess little chess game right well this the season of war the one that was uh the first one that was previewed is is a game changer in and of itself right like that's a huge determinant like if i'm on the other side of the table from that and i'm second i'm like which card do I really, really need out of this? Because he might trigger that the next turn. He or she might trigger that the next turn, and I'm out. And then I have a whole new four people to to worry about. So yep. is there is there one of these four that I really need? Versus yep. and, if I have Season exactly, War on my side, I'm like, do I need any of these people? Nah, let's get rid of everybody. <laughs> and that's exactly the kind of decision-making that these events um, are trying to encourage. And the rally, and rally just uh, ex- accentuates that by having more cards in more provinces that you now are considering and also having more situational things so that I can put cards in my deck that maybe I wouldn't otherwise include. Yeah. But because they have mm-hmm. rally, the costs to include them is... Yep. Yep, Lowered. for yep. sure. Well, thank you can sh- for that. Can shoot her in quickly as well, by the way. Of course you, Tobin, would make the connection between rally and the Vita stuff. That cracked me up. So, <laughs> I was just like, oh God, here we go. So... <laughs> Well, those of a certain age, those of us of a certain age, right? Um, all right, Tyler. So th- again, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, it was a pleasure as always. We we want to close it out. We don't have any. We don't. Ha- I don't have any questions quite as cool as uh, Kwanin is uh, Kwanin related <laughs> questions. Uh, my love for him still still persists. But uh, we're gonna hit you with some binary questions. So this, you know, in in a Fun and entertaining way, just kind of lightning round stuff. Lightning round, yes or no, go. 
yeah, yes or no, or it's not yes or no so much as uh, either this or that. Oh, okay. Right? So oh, interesting. Okay, we're gonna start with uh, the the famous one that's been bandied about for probably thirty years, which is Star Wars or Star Trek. Star Wars. Oh, God. As a spoken as an FFG employee. Oh. There you go. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> He's I, legally I, obligated to say Star Wars. Listen, listen, my dude. <laughs> I was a Star Wars fan at five years old, and I have seen very little Star Trek. Fair enough. Um, I, okay. I, I, I generally agree. Star, Star Wars movies, Star Trek books, or show. So. Oh, God. Uh, uh, I'm a tracker. You can hear my pain. I... All right. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Next up, uh, Arkham Horror LCG or Marvel Champions LCG? Ooh, that's a great question. And you know what's the you know what the twist to this question is? Uh, no. The answer is not one of the t- is is one that you didn't ask. Oh, the answer it's is Lord, Lord of the Rings, Rings LCG. You're the, you're the answer is Lord of the Rings LCG. But I'm going to go with Arkham. You're going to go with Arkham. Uh, All right. Cool. I mean, interesting. I did, you want you want to hear a, you want to hear a fun fun trivia fact about Tyler? Sure. My high school uh, English term paper was on H.P. Lovecraft. Oh totally wow! Reasonable. Totally reasonable. Plenty, you plenty rock. Cool. You Interesting rock guy. so yeah. much. <laughs> That's cool. I, Call of Cthulhu and Lovecraft Lovecraft fiction are things that have I've been have been with me since high school. Uh, yeah, I love everything Lovecraftian, so that is awesome. <laughs> All right, next up, Netflix or Hulu? <gasps> oh, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? What's that? Hulu. Hulu. Oh, uh, I don't right. blame you recently. I don't blame you. These, not these days. Maybe oh, yeah. at, at one point there was a world in which I would say Netflix, but since I have gotten, since I've been going out of my way to watch good anime more lately, the answer is Hulu. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. There right. you go. All right, how about Captain Marvel or Black Widow? Oh, that's easy. Captain Marvel for sure. Really? Uh, oh, Black Widow gave up her life to save the world. <laughs> yeah. Also, do you, do you want me to tell you about Captain Marvel's? Okay, I'm going to pre- preface this by saying I'm a movie watcher, not a comic book reader. Mm-hmm. But the Captain Marvel movie, entire premise of the movie was about Captain Marvel learning how to embrace the powers that she already had that society was trying to repress. And that is a great story, especially for a powerful female character. So that's the pick. Yeah. All right. Well that, said. Well argued. Yeah, well argued. All right. Uh, last three. Luke or Ray? Oh, <laughs> Ray is so strong on the internet. <laughs> 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 The markability of the answers, nice. The answer is Luke. The answer the, is Luke. All right. The is Luke. <laughs> especially, and I've liked Luke since I was a kid, but especially the way that Luke's story went in the Last Jedi. Thank you. I will. I will yeah. throw that one straight out. Thank you. Yeah. He is almost the best he's ever appeared in there. Yeah. Yes. Um. In fact, I think. Well, I won't get into my last jedi rant but sufficient suffice it to say i really like that movie and yeah, i think I, I, I will i will happily join you in a massive big toast of that film when we get chance without any I thought it was great yeah all right last two uh this one is probably near and dear to your heart it might actually break it tyler Uh-oh. <laughs> frodo or bilbo oh uh frodo no, no oh man i, I no was problem. hoping for a 
hoping for a little bit more uh, of a decision there. All right, that's so a, now that's a reasonable question. It's a reasonable question, <laughs> but um... yeah, man. Well, for, to to be fair, Frodo gets a much more developed character story than mm-hmm. Bilbo ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of the sure. point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so now the most important of them all, the absolute most important of them all, and it's not because I have any vested interest in your answer or anything. Uh-oh. Oh boy, um, Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin? Oh, uh, I will. I will say that I am less knowledgeable about this than you are. <laughs> but the answer is definitely Led Zeppelin. Oh, breaks my heart. That's all right. <laughs> I, I saw. I saw this question. I thought so. Stoned versus drunk. I mean, I like both bands, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I. I think he answered correctly. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Come on, right. Tobin. <laughs> I, 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 I never covered Led Zeppelin myself, but I get that. So you know. I'm receiving. I'm getting. I'm getting a, a 16 disc set in the mail in the next couple of hours for Pink Floyd. So that's how much I. Oh and wow! It's, oh, it's, it's a combination it, right? birthday present, Christmas present thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the Zeppelin. Zeppelin is awesome. Pink Floyd is no one touches the Floyd, so that's yeah. for me. That's Except Led Zeppelin. No. No. Oh, yes. no. Shots fired. Uh, all right. So, uh, anything else you want to say? Again, uh, thank you for taking your time out. This has been an extra long one because it was an extra long, extra big, extra impactful announcement. Oh my goodness! Uh, if there's it's anything else so you'd long. like to say, so long to make and edit and write about these changes. I'm just excited that they're finally coming out. You wrote almost 6,000 words. Uh, I wrote. That's a lot. I wrote almost 6,000 words. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely too many words, but you know, that's just me, I guess. I'm going to say the the university professor can probably tell you what your word count was quite accurately. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I know both of my articles were, uh, both of my, both of my articles as I wrote them were, uh, 2,800 words or some something thereabouts. Yep, Holy cow. almost exactly. There you go. There you go. Wow. Yep. It was well, I'm excited for all this, so yeah, thanks again for doing this. Definitely. And for those of you who are listening over the holidays, which of course you are because that's when we release this, um, <laughs> ha- have a happy new year. Hope your Christmas was good. Uh, this was the special Christmas episode that we weren't sure we were going to have, but here it is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Happy holidays, everybody. Be safe. You were like, "Oh, we're gonna have, we're gonna have this special Christmas, or we we might have a holiday episode, and we might not." And I'm like, "They're gonna want to talk about the restrictive list." <laughs> <laughs> well, I never write it in stone. Never things things don't often happen. While we had more or less planned it, it was you know things happen. Things, so, things could have fallen through. Oh, you had yeah. your hopes. They happen to have worked out. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, folks. Uh, anything else to say, gentlemen? <laughs> what am I asking for? Title. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna open. I'm gonna open my advent calendar. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> all it's right. A, it's, cool. a, it's a. It's a Star Wars Lego one. <laughs> it's nice. Fantastic. Actually, that's legit. I'm into that. Yeah, it's badass. <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> Uh, if you have not played Control the video game, you should oh, go play Control the video sale, game. Right? It is it is exactly my kind of game, and it's great. And uh, if you like stories and or shooters and or weirdness, go play this game. It's and right. what what platform is it on? 
it i think all of them i it's got yeah, it on, i yeah. got it on pc because i play pc games but yes uh, i understand it is also on xbox and ps4 all right cool since, since, since you've taken that lead um disco elysium if you haven't played it yet the best role-playing game in a long time that just sounds strange it is that's the point it's fantastic <laughs> it is very very weird if you'd like to join the discussion have ideas for future episodes feedback or questions for us you can contact us at artofforecast at gmail.com via twitter at artofforecast via facebook or leave a comment in the episode's comment section Please review us on iTunes. It helps other Rokugani find us. If you'd like to support us, check us out at patreon.com slash artofwarcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, honor is the deadliest weapon. weapon.